Good morning. How are you all? You all well? You sound so excited. You guys well? Yeah, wonderful. So uh, I'm going to jump right into the Word today. And um, we are having two services next week. It doesn't mean we're starting to do that every week. I realize some of you may have that question. We're just doing it the one time. We are still looking into... We are literally weekly working with some contractors and some developers and so forth, but for the for a future building, which I'll speak about another time, but also looking at taking this wall down and purchasing or leasing some more space in this building. So we're trying to work that out because we'd prefer not to go to two services. I'm just being real with you guys, yeah? So we're trying to do that, but there's obviously some difficulty and stuff involved in that process. So, so we thought we'd do two services just to give you space to bring who you need to bring. So that'll be next week. Good? Awesome. Actually, I'm going to put this over here. All right. Palm Sunday. Could you turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of John? You can go to chapter 12. I uh, want to speak about Palm Sunday today. I actually forgot that the children were coming in to, to, with their palms, and I got hit by three. And when I got hit by the first one, I realized, oh, yeah, I forgot. I mean, I knew, but I just, you know, I forgot. I get so focused. But um, Palm Sunday, for those of you who don't know, even though I grew up in the church, it was never really a focus for us, all the you know, different days. We just loved the Lord and got on with the gospel. And, um, but Palm Sunday is the beginning of what some people call Passion Week, when Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, riding on the colt on the fall of a donkey. And, um, and there's some incredible significance in this. And, but I find often when we have these days that you know, are more can I say known or religious or have a title or name? Sometimes we just tend to go through the motions. And so I always just <clears throat> go to the word and I say, Lord, what do you want to show me? What do you want me to speak about? And, and so we're going to flip through a lot of scripture today. And what I'm trusting in the Lord for us and for the Holy Spirit to help us with is to put us there on the ground. What was it like there on the ground? And I know I, I like to kind of see scripture that way. What was it like for them? Because it offers a lot of revelation and without revelation, you know, we, we don't, there's no transformation. Information is great. So I'm going to give you a whole lot of information today. It's not to impress you. I may even skip over some stuff. It's just to give some understanding. So can we, uh, can we prepare our hearts and our minds? Yeah? Wonderful. So what I'm going to attempt to do today is to look at this when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, to look at it from the view of earth in terms of the people on the day, what was earth, earth's view of what's happening? We'll spend probably 90% of the time on that. And then I want to look at what was hell's view? Because, you know, with everything that happens in the world, the enemy has a perspective, the Lord has a perspective, and we have a perspective. And very seldom do they match. And then we're going to look at heaven's perspective about what was actually taking place. So, Earth's view, we're obviously going to spend the most time on because we know the most about it because we are of the Earth, in case you wondered. Even my dad, of the Earth. <laughs> so, we're going to try and see what's on the ground. Now, John 12, Luke uh, 19, uh, Matthew 21, and Mark 11. We're not going to read all of it. We're going to mostly stick to two, but we're going to go back and forth, back and forth between the accounts. So, start in John 11, if you can go there. The context here, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, which caused some stir 
among the religious leaders. They weren't too happy that he had done that. It brought him a lot of unwanted attention, so he decided to withdraw. So let's go to, I'm going to show you a little bit quick context, and then we'll start in John 12. But John 11, verse 45 to 48 says, The many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things that Jesus did believed in him, but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away our, both our place and our nation. It shows you what the power of the Holy Spirit does. It says everyone will believe in him. We need God's power in the church. Amen? So, verse 53 and 54 says, Then from that day on they plotted to put him to death. Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews. That may not make sense to you. He came to die, we know that. But it had to be in his time, not theirs. So it says he walked no longer openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness. Can we say wilderness? wilderness. We're going to do that a bit today. It's cheesy, but it helps you. To a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. Now the wilderness here, if you looked at a map of Jesus in the day of Jesus, there was like this, almost like a rift, like a valley between Jerusalem over here and Jericho was up here, Ephraim was up here, and other places down here, but they had to go through this Kidron Valley. And that whole area is called the wilderness of Judea. So Jesus goes there, and Jericho is there as well. Now listen, look at this, Matthew 20. Now, as this is about the same story, obviously we're going to different accounts. Now, as they went out of Jericho, Matthew 20, verse 29, a great multitude followed him, and behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So a whole multitude begins to follow Jesus as he's now coming out of Jericho and he's making his way into Jerusalem because they used to have these uh, Jewish feasts and they would make these pilgrimages. And so they were coming to, to Jerusalem and the crowd started to walk with him. All right? And the crowd started to see as they walked with him all the wondrous works that he was doing. And it's still the truth today. If you walk with the Lord you will witness his wondrous works in people's hearts, in power, in changed bodies, in all sorts of wonderful ways. But the crowd starts to walk with him, and they're seeing that. So John eleven fifty five, we left off in verse 54. 55 says, And the Passover of the Jews was near, because that's where they were going. And people went from the country, from the wilderness, up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus. So you have a group of people, they're walking with Jesus. Then some go ahead and kind of get there early so they can do all the purification things that they need to do. And some stay with Jesus. But they were all with him in the beginning and then a group goes ahead. Now they're standing. They've seen, now this group that's gone ahead, they're standing in the temple. Because it's important for us to see a picture. They're standing in the temple and they say, then they sought Jesus. And they spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? He will not come to the feast. And it means, I mean, he's coming. We know he's coming to the feast. And it says, and both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given the command that if anyone knew where he was, they should report it that they may seize him. So they're like, the Pharisees want to kill him. People want to seize him. There's a crowd that's coming with Jesus. And there's people that were with him that have gone ahead. Now they're talking about it. What's going to happen? What's going to happen when he gets here? That's the context. 
I actually preached a similar about this last year, but I felt the Lord wanted me to repeat some stuff, so we'll do that. Matthew 21, in the middle of his triumphant procession, it actually lists both crowds. It says, in the multitude who went before and those who followed and came with him, cried out saying, and Hosanna to the son of David. So, now go back to John 12 if you can. I know that's a lot of back and forth, and let's go to verse 9. It says, now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Wouldn't you want to speak to him? He was dead for four days. What happened when you died? Hello. He raised him from the dead. It says that they might see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead, but the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews ran away and believed in Jesus. Again, the power of God. So, you have this crowd. And some are there. Some are with the Lord still literally walking. And they're coming and they're feeding, in a sense, on the wondrous works of God. They're feeding on his presence. They're feeding on what he's doing. They're not thinking about what he's not doing. And that's still true today. If you feed on what he's doing and you focus on that, not on what you want him to, what he's not doing, what you think he should do. So they're feeding on that. They're talking about Jesus at the temple. They're trying to talk to people who know the power of God is touched. So it's like Jesus' fever. There's a crowd there and there's a crowd coming that is absolutely like Jesus. Everything Jesus. The Jesus movement had nothing on these guys. For real. These guys were excited, ecstatic, searching. What happened when Jesus prayed for you? What happened when Jesus prayed for you? That's the context. But this crowd is coming into a religious storm. Religianity. That's my new word. They're coming to a religious storm because the Pharisees want to kill Jesus. Now they want to kill Lazarus. That is always what religianity will do. Kill the testimony. Lazarus was the testimony. I cannot fathom this, it's outside of my box, it's outside of my theology, kill it, stop it, don't let people share it. Outside of my world. So shut it down. Because the the feast of the Passover, oh, that's the Pharisees' times to shine. With all their pomp and robes and, you know, holy outfits and so forth. It's their time to shine. So they've got to shut this Jesus thing down. So we've got to kill that guy. We've got to shut the testimony down. We've got to kill that guy. These are God's religious leaders of the day. So they have to squash it. The enemy does not want you either testifying of the gospel or of when the Lord touched your life. He doesn't want it. But there's a crowd coming. Think about that. An absolute nightmare for the religious leaders. And they're coming. You can't stop it. So there is excitement. There is tension. There is like, what's going to happen? There's a face-off between Jesus and the religious leaders. So that's the context. That's the context of what's actually going on on this day. So, Lord, open our hearts. So let's go read these accounts. We just read it often out of context. We just read the little story. But there's what was happening is so important because it offers revelation. So let's go to John chapter 12. We're going to read verse 12. It says, The next day 
actually I got it here. And the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, that means save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now imagine the tension. Pharisees are hearing this. Then Jesus, when he had found a donkey, sat on it. Now this is a lot more than that. You know, he sent his disciples to get it. Sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, O daughter of Zion. This is Zechariah 9.9. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Very important. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things which were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Sometimes we don't understand, but if we just obey and do what he says, you actually get to partner in God's plan that you don't even see. You don't even see it. Just do what he says. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised from the dead bore witness. They started telling people, hey, we were there. That guy was like for real dead. For this reason, the people also met him, being Jesus, because they heard that he had done the sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. And that word there is cosmos. They were feeling defeated. They said the whole universe is focused on Jesus. Let's go to read the Matthew 21 account. Same story. Now when they drew near Jerusalem, verse 1, and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. Remember that, Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This was actually something that was an honor. If a person was of royal lineage, they were allowed to demand the use of a person's animal. Jesus there culturally is declaring himself a king. Because then they would return the animal and like, oh, the king used my creature. That's what the culture was. The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. And this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, that's Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. That's the definition of a disciple, just in case you were wondering. The disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set him. Jesus, Lord of glory. Imagine Peter. I've got it. Pick him up. They set him on, on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before, here it is again, the multitudes who went before, that crowd, and those who followed, followed the Lord, cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, brief pause. Many of us would understand this. Why the son of David? Why was Jesus called the son of David? Because God made an eternal covenant with David, actual David in the Bible, the King David. He made an eternal covenant with David that from today, from you, all the kings of Israel will come from your line. And that will lead to the Messiah. We don't have time to show you the, 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 the Davidic covenant. And that Messiah, when he comes, he will begin to set up a, a government that has no end. And he will sit on your throne forever. That's the Davidic covenant that we're actually a part of. And so, 
one of the names that they would look for in the Messiah, they would call the Messiah the son of David. The son of David. And as we know, Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, descended from David. By the way, showing you something, it wasn't from his body. Jesus, Jesus the man, in a sense, was from Mary, came out of Mary. It was a virgin birth, showing us something. Joseph, in a sense, was his adoptive father. You are adopted by him. Think about it. Because that's more powerful in the Middle East. You can never deny someone you adopt, but you can a child that is born to you. So Jesus grew up with that experience. Just like you. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? Who is this? So, we're going to do a quick teaching, as fast as I can. I'm gonna, we're going to look at types, shadows, and prophecies. Because there's stuff happening. You know, Isaac going up the, up the mountain with wood on his back, that's pointing to Jesus going up the mountain with wood on his back. Everything in the old points to the new. Joseph betrayed by his brothers. Jesus betrayed by his brothers. Everything in the old is a type. It's a shadow. It's a pattern. Even the earthly tabernacle was a shadow or a pattern of something that's in heaven. Everything points to the Lord. So there are, there are so many here. We're just going to list a few. Some types and shadows. These are the fulfillments. These are the substance. Christ is always the substance. And then some actual prophetic fulfillment. So firstly, the word donkey. Little old donkey. If you've watched that movie, what's that little movie? Star? Yeah, it wasn't quite like that. But, but we'll say it was. My wife doesn't want me to ruin the movie. So, donkey. Well, obviously we know, Zechariah 9.9, we've read it twice, that behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. So, Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. Very important. Very important. But more so than that, in these days, across the world, not just the Middle East, in those days, if a king rode on a donkey... I've said, I think I've said this last year. It meant he came a king or a ruler coming into a city. If he rode on a donkey, it meant something very important. And all cultures understood this. I come in peace. Very important. If he rode on a horse, it was a war horse. So Jesus gets on a donkey. But if you go look at a map, which we won't do. I had some, but it'll take too long. You go look at where Jesus went. He was coming out of Jericho, Jerusalem's here, the wilderness. He goes through this weird path. It's like he could have just like, let's go over there. But he goes on this weird like trek until he gets to a certain place. And then he goes up. Why? Well, it's a shadow. You know, David, his actual son's name was Solomon. He was the first prince of Israel. I mean, Jonathan was, but he was the first prince that actually ruled, that became a king. You know, when in his coronation, David sat his son on his donkey at the Mount of Olives, and he rode through the Kidron Valley up to Jerusalem. Jesus knows this. He goes back to that place, gets on a donkey, and follows the same path, the son of David. Solomon's name means peace. He was the first prince. Prince of peace. So some of the people on that day, they knew this. Whoa, 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 what's going on? You know when it's like you're too much going on? 
That's happening. This crowd is all excited. They're like, do you understand? Like, like too, too excited. That's what's happening. He follows the path of the Prince of Peace because he is actually our Prince of Peace. He really, really is. It, it, it happened a few times, but that time was very important. Ephesians 2 says this, He himself is our peace, who has made both one, speaking about Gentiles and Jews, and he has broken down the middle wall of separation. There was walls that would separate how far a person could go in the temple into the presence of God, access to the Lord. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who were near. For through him, the Prince of Peace, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Because religionity is great at keeping people out. Jesus breaks all of that down and says, come in. He literally paid for that. A Gentile could only go into the outer court of the temple. A Jewish woman could go further than a Gentile man. A Jewish man could go further than a Gentile woman. A Jewish priest could go further than a, Gent than a Jewish man. A Jewish high priest, he was the top guy. He could go all the way in. Jesus changed all of that. He broke down the walls that separate to keep people out. And he tore the thing, he tore the veil and said, come in. What about this verse, John 12, 12? You know, you've heard me say it many times. The Bible doesn't waste words. I trust, I encourage you to read the Bible. Why does it say that? Why does it say that? Ask yourself, why does it say that? It says, the next day. Why? I'm, why does it say the next day? Why does it bother telling me the next day? Well, just before in John 12, 1, it says it was six days before the Passover. The Passover happens on the 15th day of the seventh month. You can go look it up in Leviticus. So that would have been the ninth, 15 minus six. It's not hard. So now it says the next day. That's the 10th day of the seventh month. What happened on the 10th day of the seventh month? It was lamb selection day. When the lamb would be selected, if you go look at Exodus, I'll read it to you. Tell the whole community, this is the original Passover that they started in Exodus, where the angel of death would pass over if the blood of the lamb was on the lintel on the doorpost. And it says, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th month of this month, each so every year, this month, each man is to take a lamb. And so they would take a lamb into their home on the 10th of Nisan was the month. That was when the Passover lamb would be chosen. And then he would go and live with the family for four days. And he would be inspected. Is it spotless? Does it have any blemish? Does it, because this blood is going to save your child from death. Hello. That's what it was for them. So every year this lamb would be inspected. But he would come into the family on the day that Jesus is riding into his family in Jerusalem. Same day. It's lamb selection day. For those who love animals, I hate to tell you, but on this day, there was about a quarter of a million lambs that would be killed. A lot of lambs. The lamb joined the family for whom its blood was about to save. John the Baptist, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The lamb of God, the prince of peace, riding into Jerusalem for whom them, it's his blood, was about to change everything. 
and they had no idea. They had no idea. That lamb would be tested for four days. You know that Jesus went through four tests? I wish we had the time to go into You go look. I'll throw it up behind, behind me. First test, you go look at it in Matthew 21. In just in those four days, they tested his authority. They questioned him. Where did you get your authority? Then they questioned his politics. The Pharisees and the Rhodians came together to trap him. And when he answered them, it says they marveled and they left him alone and went their way. Then they tested his wisdom. The Sadducees and Pharisees asked him stuff to try because there was a division amongst them. So yeah, they asked him questions to try and get him to be a part of the division. And in his answer, it says they were all astonished. They had nothing to say. Then they tested his theology. What's the most important commandment? Four tests. What's the most important commandment? It says after that, no one was able to answer him a word and nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. The Lamb of God was tested for four days. He was inspected. Think about this, and Dwayne once preached this in such an amazing way. When the lamb was in the little house at the first Passover, who was inspected, the lamb or the people? The lamb. It's not about what you can do. The lamb is inspected, not you. But the lamb is also tested, and he was found sufficient. This is all happening. Some people may have understood this, most maybe didn't. There's a reason why they did what they did. These people didn't even know they're partnering with God's plan. Then there's palm branches. Why palm branches? Oh, we could go into this. One of the festivals, which happened on a different month, was called the Festival of Booths. They would get palm branches and leafy trees, and they would have to live in booths to remind themselves of their exodus out of Egypt, to remind themselves of salvation. They did it every year. I encourage you not to be religious about it. Have you ever set aside a day and just with your family and stopped and talked? Tell me about when you got saved. Set aside a time to look back at when you escaped Egypt, when God changed your heart. And talk about it with your friends, with your family. This is what happened to you. Tell me again. Tell me again. They did this every year. And because of that process, the, the palm branch became the national symbol of Israel in those days. It means freedom. The national symbol, king. So they go and grab palm trees. And they start waving palm trees. And then they start to sing, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, which is what? Psalm 118. And I know this is a lot of information. You guys doing well? Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. If you're a little Jewish boy growing up or a Jewish girl, you would know. When you're on the way up to the Passover feast for the little pilgrimage, you sing this, the Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 113 to 118. And it would climax at 118. And it would say, Hosanna, save now. Prophesying the Messiah will one day come on this track. Which he did. And Hosanna... But it says, sorry, in verse 24 of 118, which they didn't sing here, it says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad. Who remembers that song? This is the day. Okay, that comes from Psalm 118. You know that in the Hebrew world, it means it's a day. I know we sing it as like every day the Lord has made, but to them, prophetically, the Messiah, it meant this day. And they start singing it on that day. 
this is the day that the Lord has made. We've been waiting for this day when he would come down that path. This is the day that the Lord has made. The Pharisees understand this. Oh, they don't like it. They're trying to shut everything down. What do they say? Some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why? Because they're like, they're no. They're saying you're the Messiah, the King. Tell them to be quiet. I love his answer. He answered and says, well, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And it says, what was the result? When he had come into Jerusalem, the whole city was moved, saying, who is this? You know, in the Greek, it means the city was shaken, shook. He shook the whole city. That's what it means in the Greek. It literally means violently shook. And they said, you know, when, when Solomon came in, it actually says in 1 Kings 1.40, it says they followed him with praises. The first Solomon followed him with praises and the noise was that which would split the earth. Same thing here. Followed the same pattern. The city was shook. Why? The Bible says in Luke 19, the version of this story, that they thought that the kingdom that's going to come and when he comes back, that they thought that 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 would happen right now. That's what they thought. But Jesus knew they need something that they don't understand. They need spiritual freedom from sin. Because they were expecting political freedom. Jesus, it wasn't cultural wasn't national, wasn't political, wasn't financial. That's coming, but why not? Because and the issue is sin in the heart of mankind. And he's, it's like saying, I can change culture, national, politics, finances, but if I don't change the heart of man, in a few months it'll look exactly the same. I got to deal with sin. You need spiritual freedom. So he comes to do that. But they didn't understand that at the time. So, the son of David, the prince of peace, riding on a donkey on lamb selection day, and they're waving national symbols of Israel, calling him the king, the Messiah, and then they do something interesting. They lay down their clothes. The disciples started, they put it on the, the, on the donkeys, but the, the people lay it on the ground. Why? Think about this. Have you, do you, do you, am I just me? You read the Bible, and I'm like, well, why don't they put their clothes on the floor? I mean, I wouldn't do that. Someone's coming in. I'm like, oh, someone's coming. (laughs) Why would you do that? It's strange. But to them, it meant something. Yeah? There's something in the Bible. When you read the Bible, you always want to look for when was the first time this happened. It's called the law of first mention. First time this happened was when Jehu was declared king in the Old Testament. It says they laid their coats under him, declaring him king. Who did Jehu come to take down? Jezebel. There's many ways to declare a king, but they chose that one. Why? What did Jezebel shut down? The voice of the Lord. She's the prophet chaser. The prophets ran. So they lay their clothes down. What did Jesus say? When, I, when, I'm, when I'm finished, all my sheep will hear my voice. To restore the voice of God, the Spirit speaking to all of us in multiple and diverse ways. He came to restore that. To declare a king, you lay 
So you have Earth's view. And Earth's view, still unfortunately is the same, is a divided view. The Pharisees trying to stop everything. A crowd, they're so excited. They believe this is going to happen and this and that. Other people like, do you understand what's happening? And then the other people are like, Who, what's going on? Who's this guy? It's a divided view. What was hell's view? Huh. Can I read you a quote? Very simply, the enemy was hoodwinked. He was, but I'll read you a quote. God fooled Satan around the birth and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, keeping him always going the other direction or not quite seeing things clearly. We must understand Satan is a created being. He shares none of the attributes of Almighty God. Not omniscience, not omnipresence, not omnipotence. None. That means he is limited in knowledge, space, and power. When it comes to predicting what God is going to do next, Satan has to rely on what he can figure out, what he remembers from when he dwelt in heaven as an angel, and what he reads in scripture. Keep in mind, therefore, that the, this is powerful. The Holy Spirit will not enlighten his understanding when he reads the Bible. When he understands. He will not give him revelation. How precious is this? The devil knows it by heart, but without the Holy Spirit's enlightening. He will not enlighten his understanding. He sees as the lost man sees, not with the mind of Christ. He cannot discern the word of God. It's why the devil is such a legalist. If you know anything about spiritual warfare, the devil is a legalist. That's why he uses the law. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. He uses the law to whip people because he, he, he's a legalist. His inside interpretation, therefore, are restricted to godless wisdom, what the devil offered Adam. You will become wise. Yeah, but it was a fallen human wisdom. Paul points out that if Satan had known what God was up to, he would have never, ever stirred his, this godless, religious, judicial, and governmental crowds to crucify him. But God pulled the wool over his eyes. God fooled him. The enemy is a legalist, and he knows what the law says. The law says a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and so forth. He says it's a life for a life. And I believe this with all my heart. You can come bring your Bibles. We can study for a couple of hours, but I don't have the time now. That the devil believed, in a sense, that God was saying, I want to rescue my creation. I will give you the life of my son for them. Oh, what a great victory he thought that was. Yeah. Great victory. He's like, oh, we're going to win. We sang it today. The enemy thought he had won. We sang it. The enemy thought, this is what 1 Corinthians 2 says, however we speak wisdom among the, those who are mature, not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Can you say mystery? Mystery. mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for they, if they had known, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. Some people say that's Pontius Pilate and the religious rulers. It, it, it most likely or possibly is, but there's someone behind, the, behind that, because that word rulers is the same as the principalities and power in the Greek as in Ephesians 6. It literally says it in Luke, 20, Luke 22, verse 3 and 4. It says, Satan entered Judas. He made him go and betray him. He's orchestrating the crucifixion, thinking, oh, I'm going to win, I'm going to win, I'm going to win. So that's hell's view. Hell's view is deceived view. 
A deceiver is always deceived. A liar is always lied to. He always lies. <laughs> it's a deceived view for personal victory and personal gain. He thinks, oh man, we're gonna, he's excited. He's thinking, man, we're going to get him. Because he has to follow the law and the law is a life for a life. What's heaven's view? I'd like it if you would, if you can picture this, the master, the king of kings, the prince of peace, the lamb of God, riding down this path, but he has a secret, literally. He has a secret that nobody knew except him and the father. Do you know that? It's such a cool story, man. Like I want to put it in a movie. He literally has a secret. And no one knew it. What am I talking about? Well, we just read that there's a mystery. Now we're going to read a few scriptures. Can you guys bear with me for these few scriptures? We'll go through them quick. Colossians 4. It's all over the New Testament when you look for it. Colossians 4. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door, Paul speaking, for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. Ephesians 1. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of fullness of time, which was when Jesus came, he might gather, and when he's coming, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, things in which are in heaven and on earth. So it gives you a clue. There's a mystery. But part of the mystery is if you're in Christ, people are like, what does that mean? Because they didn't understand that back here. We understand it now looking back. But part of the mystery is one day when he comes back, he will gather anything that's in Christ, he will gather all together. That's a clue. That's a part of it. And we're like, okay. Well, Ephesians 3 says, For I, this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles... If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me for you, how that by revelation, which the enemy doesn't have, he made known to me the mystery, verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, but it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Then it gives you another clue. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Oh, so we're going to all be gathered together, those who are in Christ, and it has something to do with the Gentiles being grafted in. But how does that happen? Next verse. Two more. You guys good? To me, who am the least and all the saints, this grace was given me, that I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsaved, the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make all see what is the stewardship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. He had a secret. Something that was hidden from before the creation of the world. Nobody knew. It's really cool. Colossians 1. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, Paul speaking, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, 
of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed, which the devil doesn't have, the revelation, he didn't have it, has been revealed to his saints, to them, to them, to you. God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. Right? It's wonderful. What's the mystery? The new birth. The new birth. That the Holy Spirit will give you a new heart and make it possible for God to dwell inside of your heart. Wasn't the Old Testament outward, outward things? No, I'm going to come in and give them a new heart. I'm going to make it possible for, them to, for me to be in them and them to be in me. So that at the end, they will all come together. Jesus comes in. The Lamb of God, he comes into Jerusalem. And he's the only one who knows what's actually going on. He has a secret. The devil thinks, I'm going to kill him, I'm going to kill him, I'm going to kill him. The, Jesus knows, when I die, I win. When I die, I win. When I die, they win. If the enemy knew that killing Jesus would essentially duplicate him all over the earth and put in millions of people authority over him over him he would have done everything to stop it but he enters Judas's heart go do this 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 he's orchestrating oh man I read something they said what did he <laughs> the, uh, the Lord the Lord uh, does, he he hoodwinked old 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 uh, what, was it? what did they call the devil? I can't remember now. Old Scratch. The Lord really hoodwinked Old Scratch. And that's exactly what he did. The son of David, the Lamb of God, rides in with an eternal secret. Think about it. It's an eternal secret. Never revealed. But it says there, he rides in weeping over Jerusalem. That's what it says. Because he knows that the worship from this passionate crowd, that'll fade. Because they think the kingdom's going to appear immediately, and when it doesn't, that worship will fade. My disciples that are with me now, all excited, said, they're going to abandon me. <laughs> the crowd will go home. The Romans will whip me. The religious leaders will kill me. The politicians will betray me with silence. And then the people will mock and spit on me. He knew that too. But he came for the whole lot. <laughs> he came for them. Knowing what they would do. He said, that's why I've come. That's what he said to them. For this hour was I born to die. That's love. And that's authority. He has this eternal secret. You may be in a season, even as it's Palm Sunday, I've been in many, where you feel like you just, you can't see. I, I encourage you, ask yourself, what's my view? What's the devil's view? But what's heaven's view? 
What does God see? No one there could see what Jesus sees. No one. They all thought they were right. The devil, the people, the religious leaders, the disciples, the Pharisees, the prophets. We're all right. Jesus was right. Heaven's never wrong. And now by the power of his spirit, 1 Corinthians 2, he says that was, was unknown before. By the power of his spirit, he gives us the ability to know the thoughts of God. We have access to him because of what Jesus did on the cross so that we can come in and say to the Lord, please give me your perspective on this. Because he wrote in this day, 2022 years ago. But there's been a thought that's been, could we have the worship team maybe come up? Could we end with a song? Let's sing, Adriel, can you lead with that song that you led? Is that okay? So, be a worship leader, they said. They're going to call me out in front of hundreds of people and just say, let's do that again. But this has been the thought that's been piercing my mind since yesterday. Because what he did on this day shook that whole city, but it ended up shaking the world. I want you to hear this. If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, coming in peace, if that shook the world, what will happen when he comes for war? Ever thought about that? Revelation says when he returns, he's coming on a white horse with a scepter in his hand. And he says he's going to come the way he left. He's, he's Zechariah 14 and says when he comes, he will descend and his feet will touch down on Mount of Olives. There, physically, his feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives. And he comes on a war horse with which to judge the nations and to tread the wrath of Almighty God. If his peace shook the world, and the peace of God will crush Satan under our feet. That's what he did. What happens when he comes for war? That's authority. Because just as this day was ordained, this is the day of the Lord. Just as that day was ordained, there's another day that's ordained. It's ordained. Whether you believe it or not, he's coming again. I'm going to read it to you. Now I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse... A horse, not a donkey. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written on him that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe. See, he still has secrets. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, that's you, if you stand with him. If you don't, don't leave here without choosing to stand with him. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he, will, he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has a robe, he has on, on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is a day coming, friends, where he will return, but he comes to settle accounts. He comes to settle accounts, but because of his blood, we have nothing to fear. Nothing. We're behind him. Oh, I don't want to be in front of him on that day. I don't. 
Can we worship him for this wonderful truth? Why don't we stand? I'm going to hand over to you guys. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you came. Next week, you rose. Lord, we bless you. We love you. We thank you. Amen. Sweet.
before we go, if you could just close your eyes a minute and if you're standing here and you need to say these words, Lord I want to put right with you, if that is in your heart, Lord I want to put right with you just be honest with him and say, Lord I want to put right with you but you need to tell him and then let him do what only he can do. Don't try to do something. Let him do it. Lord, I want to put right with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Amen. What a glory. It was outstanding, Clayton. It really was. I really mean it. If you want prayer, people will pray for you. Maybe you were the guys that said, I want to put right with you, Lord. Just if you need prayer, that's fine. If you feel you just want to surrender your life, that come up there. Let somebody pray for you. Declare it. Say it. It needs to come out of this mouth. Very important comes out of the mouth. That's why I want you to come up. But otherwise, have a great week. Uh, we'll see you next Sunday, either at what time? Nine or eleven. Thank you. Nine or eleven. Nine o'clock or eleven o'clock. Amen. Bless you all. Amen. Good morning, Free Life Church, and happy Sunday. We are so glad you've joined us today. We would love to connect with you. Connection cards are a great way to let us know if you're new to us, any needs or comments you may have, or how we can connect with you. To submit a card, simply scan the QR code on the back of the seat or visit the Connect page on our website. If you're a first-time visitor, please stop by the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag. We look forward to meeting you. Join us for our movie night on Tuesday. Come and watch the incredible testimony of the most unlikely convert, C.S. Lewis. Registration closes today at midnight, so don't forget to sign up. He is risen. Join us on Easter Sunday, April 17th, in the celebration of our Savior and His resurrection. We will be having two services, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Children's Church will be available for the 11 o'clock service only, so please plan accordingly. Don't forget to invite someone. We look forward to celebrating with you, your family, and friends. We are excited to host guest speaker Seth Dahl the weekend of April 22nd through 24th. This will be a powerful weekend of focusing on family and building strong relationships for a healthy, whole community. Check out the events page on our website for more details. Loud and Awakening will be hosting a Bible reading marathon for April 30th to May 5th. Join other believers and friends as we read through the entire Bible, Genesis through Revelation in 88 hours, ending on the National Day of Prayer. To sign up for a reading slot, follow the QR code or go online. Ever wonder what goes on behind the scenes during a Sunday service? 
Do you want to press buttons and make things happen? Join the audiovisual team. Help us broadcast our service and ensure a seamless Sunday experience. No previous experience necessary. Training will be provided. For more information or to join, please email us or follow the QR code. Here at Free Life, we believe in kingdom giving and we invite you to give towards the work God is doing through us. The easiest way to give is by scanning the QR code here with your mobile device. Checks or cash may be dropped in the connect box at the back of the sanctuary. We thank you for your partnership with us. Stay informed of upcoming events and important announcements by signing up for text updates and our newsletter. Simply text Free Life to 41400 to sign up. Remember, to learn about all our upcoming events, please see the events page on our website. Thanks for joining us today.